yard man. Raymond Breen wasn't considered much more than peculiar most of the year. PE teacher at the grade school, mostly kept to himself. There were the older teachers, say, Mr. Patterson and Nup, and then what were generally the younger teachers, Miss Tilly and her ilk, and each group tended to socialize pretty exclusively within itself, and Raymond, despite being only 34, a mere four years older than Miss Tilly, never really hitched himself to the younger folks, being of course far too young for Mr. Patterson's teacher's lounge. The young folk congregated around a microwave and mini-fridge setup that had been arranged in what used to be the kiln of the art room, now a storage closet, and fast becoming an archive of all the unclaimed and unwanted assemblages produced by the last fifteen classes of Sandberg Elementary students. Raymond just sort of floated away, a half-flat soccer ball already balding on the crown, forgotten in the surf. Eating one smushed white bread bologna and cheese sandwich and one peanut butter no jelly sandwich every day. On warm days, a bench behind the boiler room, facing a bike trail bordering the forest. In his car, November through late April. The other teachers never heard him yell at his students, seldom heard him at all. His classes were silent, even during periods of intense play, save for the thumping and squeaking of several dozen small rubber soles on laminate hardwood. This struck them as odd at first, but after one school year of this, they grew to see it as normal. Principal Roberts remarked that the students were enjoying noticeably fewer free-for-all days under Raymond, a concept perfected, if not pioneered, under the reign of his predecessor, in which whatever equipment is nearest at hand is unceremoniously rolled toward the center of the room and left available before the students arrive, while the teacher stays back in his office for most of or even the duration of the period, nursing a hangover in the dingy, sour milk light behind the bent and cracked blinds. It was October of Raymond's third year at Sandburg when he first debuted what would become a Halloween tradition in Arborsport for nearly a decade. It wasn't until sometime during his fourth October at Sandburg that someone dubbed him the Yard Man. The most commonly accepted story is that one of his students gave him the nickname. However it came to be, the moniker was already seeing wide enough usage as to appear in an interview Breen gave Lonnie Smith of the student newspaper, published on the 21st of the month. Though, to say he gave him much of anything is being generous, he steadfastly refused to do anything except outline, in strictly expository terms, his nightly routine, which he began just after sundown on October 1st, and performed every evening through the 31st. When asked why he was doing it, he would only say, repeatedly, because it's fun. Smith, who'd had to venture into the long-defunct boys' locker room to find Raymond's office for that interview, recalled that Mr. Breen had seemed almost annoyed each time he'd asked him about his motivations, like it was the most obvious thing in the world. I just get four mannequins and put them each in a different kind of get-up. Last year, one of them was a lagoon creature. This year, there's a headless horseman. I get home from school at 4.30. I make a box of mac and cheese for dinner, which takes me until 5.30 once I clean all of the dishes. Once it gets dark, I turn on the music. I put on my costume and pick one of the dummies to put in the shed for the night. Then I go outside and take his place. I pick a different one each night and I go until 10. At 10, I turn off the music, put the dummy back, come inside and get ready for bed. 
The music to which Breen refers could more accurately be described as a recording of an endless loop which consists solely of anywhere from half a dozen to a dozen chainsaws, all idling, revving, or cutting out in seemingly random cacophony. What goes unmentioned in the article, but was a commonly known part of the legend nevertheless, is that each night, after he was finished with his time as a yard decoration, Raymond would retreat into his living room, where he would turn off all of the outdoor display lights, and then all of the lights inside of his house. He would then spend anywhere from one to four hours standing in front of the large living room window overlooking his front yard and his mute display of costumed dummies. That third October was the year in which Mrs. Maybury, mother of Martha and Beatrice Maybury, passed a petition around amongst the parents urging the firing of Raymond Breen, asserting that his odd habits around Halloween posed a distraction for the students. She was being political in print. She'd tell anyone who'd listen, in line at the grocery store or on the sideline at Martha's soccer practice, that she thought he was a creep, and liable to up and murder one or a dozen of them any day now. Not a soul signed the petition, and the matter was never raised in polite company again. Teenagers made a habit of driving to Raymond's house and idling their cars across the street for a few minutes before moving along. Sometimes they brought eggs or toilet paper, but without fail, their sense of humor and mischief were drained from them by the time they arrived outside Raymond's house, and they never threw them, always thought better of it in the end. Just sat there, watching, gawking, observing, and, one could only assume, being observed. Some nights it really was difficult to tell which creature Raymond had replaced. One had the sense that he really quite enjoyed it when passerby would mistake him entirely for one of the dummies, though he never laughed, never said anything to break the spell. On the evening before Halloween, Raymond would place a dozen brown paper bags on his front porch, using a cardboard box top as a tray, and another piece of cardboard as a sign. Trick or treat. Take an apple. By the end of the night, the bottom half of each paper bag was visibly soaked through with some unidentifiable liquid, and Raymond would take the tray inside with him. On Halloween, a new, fresh tray would be placed on the porch, same sign. These bags never seemed to become wet, though nobody ever took one for themselves, despite nearly every child in Arborsport passing by the yard at some point before the night was over. In what was probably Raymond's 6th or 7th October, Mrs. Lester, a math teacher, abruptly quit. She announced her resignation in a letter, bearing no return address, which arrived on Principal Roberts's desk the week after she simply stopped coming to school. It was probably eight o'clock last Wednesday evening. I believe I was the last one left in the building. I'd been finishing up some grading and was cutting through the gymnasium to the parking lot since I was carrying a heavy box of assemblages out to my car, which I was planning to mail on my way to school the next day. I didn't fuss with turning on the lights, the nearest switchboard being in Breen's office after all, and besides, all I had to do was walk straight anyways, and I would run right into the door on the opposite end. As I walked, the echoing of the sound of my footsteps began to bother me as too loud, and I soon realized that this was because, somewhere in my stomach, I'd begun to feel that there was someone else in the gym with me. I stopped for a moment then to listen and heard nothing besides my own breathing, my own heart beating. But the feeling on the back of my neck persisted, and so I ran as quickly as I could the rest of the way for the exit. 
I hit the doors, still moving quite fast, and found, to my great dismay, that both were locked. I tried again to listen, once I'd placed the box of assemblages on the floor, after I'd caught my breath and heard nothing. Still, I was as certain as I'd ever been that I was not alone. So I groped along the wall in search of a light switch, but found only the fire alarm, which in my desperation I threw and turned to find, via that dim, slowly strobing red light, that indeed it appeared I was sharing the gymnasium with three figures, all stood spaced across the center of the basketball court between myself and the doors through which I'd entered. I stood absolutely still then. I don't even recall if I was breathing, but I moved to believe that I wasn't for the several minutes it took to make absolutely sure that none of them were moving. Eventually, as my eyes adjusted somewhat to the dark, I was able to recognize them as the mannequins for Mr. Breen's yard display. A mummy a deep-sea diver, and a witch with a long, crooked nose. I passed cautiously through their line, likely still holding my breath. In the intermittent light, I could only be mostly certain that they weren't moving around, drawing slightly closer when I wasn't looking. Eventually I reached the far shore and found my way into the small hallway which leads to Mr. Breen's office and the old locker room. I heard there coming from somewhere deep in the labyrinth and bowels of the locker room, which sounded like the din of some great machinery. When I turned on the lights, I found the three figures roughly where I remembered having left them. But the feeling in the back of my neck would not leave, and so as quickly as I could then, I did, and have not returned since. A mummy, a deep-sea diver, and a witch with a long crooked nose. Even in the full light, I could not be sure that any of them were not Mr. Breen himself. Principal Roberts, you know that I am not an unreasonable woman. I allowed that it was possible that it was a misunderstanding of sorts, that Mr. Breen had some reason or even every reason in the world for having his decorations in the gym that night, and that I'd merely let my imagination run away with itself beyond that. But, as I'm sure you've no doubt noticed, I've not been at school for some time now. Allow me to explain. I drove home to my house that night with no further incident, and to my surprise found myself falling asleep with ease and sleeping quite deeply. And when I woke in the morning to the sun and the birds, I found myself feeling quite silly over how worked up I'd been the night before, until I looked out my window and saw there on my front lawn a mummy a deep-sea diver, and a witch with a long, crooked nose. I do not know if I ever intend to return to Sandburg Elementary, but I do know for certain that you will catch no sign of me in Arborsport as long as it counts Raymond Breen as a resident. In my haste to leave, I left behind the box of assemblages which I was carrying. Please apologize on my behalf to the folks downstate in the event that they are late in arriving as well as to the men down at the fire station if any of them were raised on my false alarm. Regards, Mrs. Lester. Mrs. Lester lives in a city somewhere, hasn't been seen since, and the general opinion of her around town remains to this day. Well, she always did sort of think she was better than us, didn't she? It was only last October when the boy Milliken went missing. They sent out a search party, but 
It never seemed like much more than a formality, even to his parents. It was a real tragedy for the whole town, and eventually they buried an empty casket. Despite his peculiar habits, or perhaps because of them, nobody pointed any fingers in Raymond Breen's direction. He continued to lurk, silently surveying each passing godless hour till sunrise, a silhouette framed in his large living room window, only faintly darker than the darkness around him. And when you wake up in some cold, dead hour of the night, sweat drenched from some unspeakable nightmare, if you've lived here long enough, you will know if he is watching. And whereupon the sun rises to the level of his window, he is never seen to retreat from his post. Rather, the shadow that had enfolded him in the night simply vanishes at the first encroachment of light, burned away like dew off the morning grass. And the general opinion remains, for the most part, something like, well, if bad stuff has to happen, at least it's not happening to me or my kid. And couldn't we all agree that something like the Millican Boy incident happening had felt inevitable, really, whether we could have articulated it at the time or not? Maybe not from the moment Mr. Breen first showed up in Arborsport, but certainly once he debuted his first evening of yard display theater and then came back out and did it again the second night and nobody said anything then. And anyway, in the three years of schooling, the boy Milliken had yet to produce a single assemblage deemed worthy of sending downstate, despite his status as a persistent prankster, troublemaker, and resident of the detention room. Still, that whole affair was really too bad. No family could have deserved it less. Too, too bad. This October, Mr. Breen's yard display stayed up into November, which dawned with a cold clarity, a sober mist hanging over the frost-stiff leaves. After Halloween, Raymond didn't appear in school again before the winter holiday. His substitute never made any mention of what might be the cause of his absence, and in fact never spoke in any way which might indicate that something out of the ordinary was happening as he rolled out the basketballs each day, a two-month-long free-for-all. Students began whispering behind lockers that perhaps he had been called to attend a conference downstate. The school stopped collecting assemblages until the final day of the semester, at which time the janitor with his wheelbarrow removed the piles which had been building at the back of each classroom. At the end of the day, they were all loaded into the dumpster behind the school. Everyone around town had remarked on the stark simplicity of that year's yard display relative to Mr. Breen's past efforts. Three figures, of varying height, arranged in a ring, facing each other, hands presumably held together underneath the drapery of their black cloaks. All wore black veils. The tallest of them on his head wore a crown of silver. His companions were finished with jester's hats, with little silver bells on the ends of each limb, which sang out gently whenever the wind grew fierce enough, though rarely was anyone ever near enough to hear them. None of our children disappeared this year. Sometime in January, a white truck with the word Movers, hand-painted neatly in black block letters on the side, appeared in front of Mr. Breen's house. Three men emerged from the cab. The driver had a clipboard under his arm and supervised as the other two moved the figures one at a time into the truck. Within five minutes they were gone, leaving behind only three circles in the snow, grass still matted where the figures had held their watch. Mr. Bring returned to school when classes resumed, and made no mention of his time away. It was universally agreed that we all were very glad to have him back. Even now, 
The small children's tennis shoes can be heard through the double doors to plod unsteadily forth four periods a day, four herds worth of shoe syncopated Cadillac and odd carnival mad thunderous rhythms over and about Raymond Brain's hardwood floor. Hundreds, seemingly, every second falling like hail, consecrating the boards, echoing like a sermon across the gym and down the years in beatific silence. Not a whisper is heard of his flock from without.